Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, we're just going to get right into it this week because we have some pretty good questions and I want to get right into answering them. So without further ado, here we go. Mark Fulton, I have read some Scientology stories where the members claim they are both Class 12 auditors and OT7 or OT8. It seems, with the time required for OT7 and the study requirements on the auditing side, that there are not enough hours in a day to complete this dual certifications in less than 50 years, especially redoing the bridge at some time. Are there shortcuts or special deals for certain people due to their status? Okay, thanks for the question, Mark. And no, there are not special deals because of people's status. However, uh, things have changed over the years. Things have changed quite a bit over the years. Back when Hubbard was still around, getting up to become a Class 12 auditor was not necessarily the Herculean task that you, you know, might think it would be. We'll address training and then we'll address processing because I'll just, and I don't know any other way to do this. Um, the longest, the, the, the lower level auditor training all the way up through uh, class six, and I'm going to put a link, or I'm going to try to remember to put a link in this video to my um, talk on the grade chart, the bridge to total freedom, because I, I break down all of the levels of Scientology and um, and talk about the training levels. So getting up to a class four or a class five auditor is really only, I mean, if you were going part-time to a local church in your town and you were doing, you know, the training maybe 15 hours a week, in about a year you could be a class four auditor pretty easily, uh, including doing an internship. And uh, now I think it's even faster. Um, and then you would go to a St. Hill level org to do what's called the Class 6 or the St. Hill Special Briefing Course. That's the big one. That takes a year full-time, meaning you're just there training away. It's, you know, you're going to spend a year of your life doing that. If you were to do it part-time, it's going to take years. That's uh, unavoidable. It's huge and it takes years. It doesn't take 50 years. Uh, but it would take, say, if you were on a part-time schedule, you know, something like four or five. Now, once you're a class six auditor, you have done a, what's, what's, or at least when it used to be offered, I don't think they're even delivering the class six course right now, although they'll probably get around to delivering it again some point in the future. But once you've done that course, you have done all the books, tons of lectures, tons of material. You're supposed to have a full chronological study of all of Dianetics and Scientology up to the level of clear. You're not going to get into the OT material when you're doing the class six course, but everything from clear and below you'll cover. So that's the big mama. Once you're done with that, you could do the class, this class seven course is really only for auditing uh, something called Power and Power Plus, and Sea Org members do that. And that's, that's a couple weeks. Doing, doing that's no big deal for a Sea Org member. Um, the class eight course is supposed to only be like full time, is only supposed to be about three or four weeks. Uh, so that's not a really long, extensive, drawn out thing, but let's say it takes, you know, let's say it takes six months. So you have now, if you're, if you're a full-time student, like you're really dedicated, then to get to training up through class eight would, would take about two or three years. Now, if uh, you do it part-time, 
five or six years. Okay, so that's kind of the training lineup. Now, in order to do the class 9, 10, 11, and 12 courses, you have to be a Sea Org member. No public do those courses and never will, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, so if you're a Sea Org member and you're going to go do that training, you're going to do it full time. Nobody goes and does the class 12 course or the class 11 course on a part-time schedule. They just put the, the guys into training and they just go do it. Uh, class 9, uh, the class 9 course covers uh, some uh, how to deliver OTE 4 and 5. And the class uh, 10, 11, and 12 courses cover what are called the L rundowns, L10, 11, and 12. And I go into all the details on that in, the, in that other video. So um, those are short courses. Those are not long, dragged out courses. And now they're making it that you can get, as a Sea Org member, you can get up to class 12 without doing that briefing course. You can get up through a class 5, and then you can skip the briefing course and go right to class 9, do class 9, and then do L uh, the class 10, 11, and 12. So anyway, if all that cryptic nonsense makes sense to you, that's the training lineup for the auditing or for the training. Now, for the auditing part, getting to clear uh, on, a, on an intensive auditing schedule, let's say you're going in 12 and a half hours a week for auditing, is gonna take somewhere between six months to a year, generally speaking, because you're gonna have vacations, you're gonna have breaks, you're gonna have this, you're gonna have that. Uh, you're gonna have to take time to make the money to pay for these things. That's usually a, a, a thing that, that enters time into it. Uh, if you just went flat out, you know, just a nose to the grindstone all day, every day, just powering through to get through what are called the grades and including the objective processes. I'm including that in there too, because those tend to go for a few hundred hours these days. It wasn't always that way. Again, things have changed over the years. Getting to clear used to be really fast. Um, now it, then it, you know, now these objectives are in there and redoing a purif and all that. But basically, um, you know, let's say a year to get to the level of clear. OT 1, 2, and 3, and 4 can be done very rapid fire. They're not long actions. And by that, I mean, because um, you go do them full time. You, you go to an advanced organization and you just audit away and you have to go in session every single day. Once you start auditing on OT 1, 2, and 3, you don't stop. There's no breaks allowed. And they, and you, they make sure you set up your life so that you can do that. So, um, so you're going in every day, so you're going to get through OT 1, 2, and 3, you know, four or five months, you're going to be through all that. Um, then you're going to do OT 4, that is about 12 and a half to 25 hours of auditing. Then you're going to do OT 5, that's a bit of a chunkier, that's 50 hours to 75 hours of auditing. Then you're going to do OT 6, which is actually a course. You have to go to FLAG. You do it full-time. Nobody does it part-time, very few people. Maybe local Clearwater residents could get away with it, but most people fly into Clearwater and they just train and they just sit in the course room and do it all day. And that course will take you maybe two months, you know, two to three months uh, max. Like, it's, you know, it, it's, it could be chunky. Um, and then once you finish that, then you go home and you audit every day, multiple times a day, on OT7. Because that's what OT6 is, is it teaches you how to audit on OT7. So OT7 is years. OT7 is without question years. I don't know anybody who's uh, ever finished it in less than two. And some people have been on it for even a decade. Uh, so that is a chunky amount of time. 
okay? Now you have to be, in order to, to, to lay this out a little bit, you'd have to do all that auditing up through OT3 before you could do the class eight course, okay? So you could go up to clear or not and train up through the St. Hill Special Briefing course, up through class six. You wouldn't have to be clear to finish the class six course, um, but that's that's sort of, but, but you have to be OT3 to get onto the class eight course. And obviously you need to be OT5 in order to get onto the class nine course, because that's what teaches you how to audit OT4 and OT5. So that's kind of how that all breaks down in terms of time. So 50 years, no, um, but altogether, if you're a very dedicated Scientologist and you really nose to the grindstone on this stuff, yeah, you're investing a lot of time. And very, that's why very few people are class 12s and OT7 or 8, you know? Uh, oh, by the way, once you finish OT7 and you go to the ship to do OT8, it's like two or three weeks. I mean, it's not a long deal to go to the ship and do OT8. At least it's not supposed to be. Some people get there and they get dragged out and stay for months, you know, interminably doing sec checks and this kind of crap. But, but the action itself doesn't really take that long. So that's kind of the time frame in, a, in very broad terms, but I hope that helps answer that question. Patricia Louisi. About two years ago, I was looking for a new private school for my nine-year-old. I found one in Orange County, California. I found it online, and it said it had small classes and it looked good to me, so I went for a visit to check it out. I toured the school with the administrator, saw the classrooms, met some of the kids. The school was actually housed in a church that was either Catholic or Christian. Only when I got back to the administrator's desk to discuss further with her the curriculum and what they teach did she bring out what looked like a coloring book that had L. Ron Hubbard's name on it. Then I started looking at the books on the wall next to me and I saw the way to happiness. There was absolutely no mention of anything Scientology on the website of the school or when I was touring the school. I asked the administrator, is this a Scientology school? And she said, yes. She said that they have children of all faiths at the school, but they do teach Scientology principles. Have you ever heard of this before where there is a Scientology school and they don't even advertise or mention that it is related to Scientology? Even when I looked at this school on Yelp, there was no mention of it. I felt duped and I was very upset that this wasn't put on their website. I told the administrator that I knew all about Scientology and I don't want any part of it and then I ran right out of her office. All right, well, first off, well done, Patricia, for getting the hell out of there. You definitely dodged a bullet. Um, and yes, this is common practice with Scientology front groups. Most of them uh, do not identify as Scientology or using Scientology principles unless you directly ask them. And once you notice L. Ron Hubbard's name all over everything, then it gets pretty obvious. But they, uh, it's not a case of buyer, you know, uh, letting people know up front or putting it on their website or something like that because they know how toxic Scientology's name is when they do that and that's why they stop doing it. So that's really the bottom line with that and, which is, and it's a reason, a very big important reason why people need to be aware when they go out to anything that resembles self-help or anything that um, is getting into the territory of where Scientology has front groups uh, they, you know, they're very deceptive. They're very deceptive on their Narconon groups. They call them New Life Centers and um, Hope Springs Eternal or whatever. Anyway, they have euphemisms and other names that they use rather than Narconon now. And the, um, the school that you saw was associated with what's called the um, 
Association for Better Living and Education, which is this, the umbrella group for all of Scientology's social betterment programs and activities, which includes um, the Applied Scholastics group. That's the, that's the group that, you, that uses Hubbard's study tech, and all the Scientology schools are licensed under Applied Scholastics to use Hubbard's trademark materials. Uh, so that's how that rolls out. So the, 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 um, the trigger, of course, the key, the key word you're looking for whenever you get associated with any of these front groups of Scientology is L. Ron Hubbard's name. They're kind of interesting because they don't throw Scientology at you, but they will use L. Ron Hubbard's name. I remember uh, in an earlier Q&A I uh, talked about the Hubbard management system which is, they don't say Scientology, but they use Hubbard. They'll say Hubbard Management System because they are trying to use these front groups to promote L. Ron Hubbard's good name and show that his technology can be utilized in the big wide world apart from Scientology in a secular fashion, but they only doing, they're only doing that so that they can direct people into the churches of Scientology to get you on what they call the main line of the bridge to total freedom. That's what they really want everybody doing. So that's kind of how that all breaks down. Anne Montgomery. Years ago, my sister went into a Scientology building in Denver and decided to take a class. She was almost finished with it, and there was a gal walking around, so she told her she wouldn't be there next week as she was flying to Portland to visit her family. The gal said, you can't do that. My sister said, yes, I can. So the gal went into a little office and huddled with a guy and came back and told her he wanted to talk to her. She went in to see him and he then told her that she had to finish the class and that she wasn't allowed to go to Oregon. My sister told him she was going and she said to him, you have no control over me. She left and never went back and they never tried to contact her. My question is, why would they be so forceful with her when it was just her first class and she hadn't even had a win yet? Well, there could be a couple reasons for this. Um, one, you just have a, you know, kind of gung-ho, over-enthusiastic course room supervisor who's just uh, determined to get his stats up that week and, she, and, and he needed your sister to finish the course in order to have a statistic because having somebody in the middle of a course doesn't really count for much of anything, especially the beginning courses where they're really only counting course completions. So they might have just been hungry for that week's stats to be up. And so they were going to pressure her into uh, staying and finishing her course. I used to do that all the time. But I didn't generally do that with new public. Uh, but so, which made me think that maybe another thing that might have been going on there is that the public courses supervisor might have been out that day, might have been on vacation or something. And the, and the more heavy-duty high-pressure academy supervisor, which is where the mainline Scientology courses are done, he might have been covering for the public courses. Or they might have had the public courses in with the academy courses under the academy supervisor. That happens all the time because they don't have enough staff, and so they don't have a separate public courses supervisor. In which case, she was getting the harsh treatment that all the academy guys usually get. So that could have been another uh, reason that that happened. Either way, you see that um, they don't really care about what else is going on in your life. I used to be endlessly frustrated by this when I was a course room supervisor. I was the bad guy. 
And it was my job to get, you know, I, I didn't think of myself as the bad guy, but it was my job to get people through these courses. And if I, and I was supposed to get as many people through as many courses as I could each and every week. And because that, you know, Thursday at two is when it, when we counted how many course completions did I get? And if I didn't have it up, if I had four last week and I only had three this week, you know, I was going to see, I was going to hear about it. So um, I used to, you know, all but manhandle my students into staying when they had to go on vacations or they had to go off and handle some emergency. It was always, Ugh, why are you doing this to me? Uh, you know, I always take it so personally, too. But that's because I was getting in, you know, a lot of trouble when I wasn't getting my stats up. So it sort of created this whole weird situation and dynamic with my own students where I couldn't really just appreciate them for who they were and let them go at their own pace through the courses. It was always, come on, come on, come on, taka, 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 now, now, now. Let's go, let's go. You got to get done with this thing. Always this high pressure to the point where I would actually try to sell students on the idea. I'd convince them to come in early, stay late, sometimes stay all night long on a Wednesday night in order to finish their courses before Thursday at two. It was the game, it was the birthday game, it was all these euphemisms that we would use to try to sell people who were Scientologists on why they needed to get through their courses, you know, taka taka. So that's kind of the, the reason why there's so much pressure on the students. And generally speaking, they don't do that on those first public level courses. They're very hands-off, they're very, Come as come and go, you know. We're we're cool with that, you know. You can uh, uh, only show up once a week, you know. It's okay. They're 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 not really super high pressure at the lower levels at the at the beginning courses. But once you go up to the academy and you've now basically said, "Wow, this Scientology stuff is really cool. I really like it. I want to do more of it." Uh, I, you know, what's the mainline services? How do I get going on those? Then you're in the big leagues and then they take the kid gloves off. That's really how it goes. Amanda Burke. So follow up to the 13 March event. How long is the gala? Clips we have seen are pretty short, but I'm assuming hours? Are people regged at this particular event? Also, there's only so much biographical data on LRH. So do they just recycle old material and repack it? What about the entertainment? All right, so the gala, which is the Celebrity Center Gala, which is a celebrity event. So I actually never attended a CC gala event. However, I did set them up. <laughs> when I was on the RPF, we would go over there and, and uh, spend all day for days building the stage and the columns and setting up the tables and doing all this crazy work. Um, but here's what I can tell you about the gala, is it's mainly celebrities and their entourage, high-level VIP Scientologists and uh, their entourage and, you know, bigwigs of the Scientology world go to the gala. It's sort of the premier event, the place to see and be seen as far as the Scientology world is concerned. And they uh, generally all come, there's a, you know, there's a five-star dinner served. There's entertainment with singers and, you know, that sort of thing. And then some bigwig, including chairman of the board, David Miscavige, has even gone personally and given presentations and speeches at the CC Gala. I think, generally speaking, Miscavige doesn't always show up to that thing. I think it's only been once or twice that he's actually shown up. But they'll usually have the 
commanding officer, the captain of the Celebrity Center, he'll do a speech and or maybe the president of Celebrity Center, which is a different person from the person. There's a person who actually runs the organization, that's the commanding officer, and then there's the president, which is a PR position and is sort of the person who's in charge of the public face of Celebrity Center and uh, the, the president's office are, is the office that deals with uh, and handles all the celebrities. Anything having to do with celebrities goes through the president's office. Unless, of course, it's Tom Cruise or something like that, which David Miscavige is handling personally, in which case he tells the president's office to screw off. But generally speaking, celebrities are being dealt with by the president's office. So, um, so it's kind of a big, you know, the gala is a big black tie affair. And once the food is served and the presentations are done, there's a lot of mingling and networking going on. It's a big networking event, basically, for the, for the bigwig Scientologists. And yes, absolutely, there's plenty and tons of regging going on. Because these are people who have a lot of money. And Scientology is all about the Benjamins. So they are all over these people at this event. Uh, but in a celebrity way, okay? So it's, you know, and I don't know all about regging celebrities. I just know that it's not always done the same way that you would see it done with normal, regular Joe Scientologists. Uh, you're, I don't think you're gonna see too often, well, actually, I really can't say. I think you're gonna see high-pressure sales tactics uh, taken out on celebrities, just like you are regular Scientologists, but not in the middle of the gala. They might take them off into a room or something and do that. And they're not going to leave a celebrity in an upset state of mind, ever. That, that would be a huge, huge, huge no-no. Uh, you would never, ever want to do something like that. So, you know, I don't know how they go about it, but they, you know, they're definitely going to try to get money out of these people at this gala because they spend a lot of money putting the gala on and they expect to get much, much, much more than just a... Uh, you know, parody of return on investment. They want to make money. Uh, that's what I can say about the gala. Inquisitor 6321. You said that they are circling the wagons about lost membership. How is the Church of Scientology tightening their grip on their public membership? Can you give a more detailed example as to how they are doing this? Yeah, they're declaring more people. They are kicking people out. They are pulling in people who are family of uh, suppressed you know, of suppressive persons, and they're declaring them. They are being more rigorous about scheduling. They're being more rigorous about participation. They are demanding more money, more time from people in order to allow them onto the OT levels. Um, if they even hear a whiff, even the smallest little piece of information that indicates that a Scientologist might be looking at the internet or might have watched Leah's show or might have be watching my channel or anything like that. They, uh, you know, give the guy a call, pull him in. They have taken uh, fairly serious justice actions called courts of ethics or committees of evidence on these people in order to get them uh, sort of scared straight. Uh, and get them back in line and towing the, the Scientology party line. Um, so they're just kind of upping the ante on how serious they are in enforcing their ethics stuff. And the way I've put this uh, more recently is I've said that 
David Miscavige's kind of weaponized Hubbard's ethics system. It was already bad when Hubbard wrote it. And Hubbard himself didn't hold back sometimes in, in inflicting massive damage on people's lives using his ethics tech. But generally speaking, you know, you didn't see that happening with the, with the raw, you know, with the, with the public, not the raw public, but with the Scientology public through the 1970s. It wasn't really like it is now. Even through the 80s is when it started to crack down because that was the influence of David Miscavige. And then it's just gotten worse and worse and worse over the years and especially more recently since the documentaries came out and more and more people are speaking out against it. They are really paranoid about people being online. Now, new people who come in don't get this kind of treatment. They're told, well, yeah, but the stuff you're reading online isn't true. You shouldn't be reading that, really. We're the ones who have the real deal on Scientology, so why don't you come to us to find out what it's all about? And, you know, if you think about it, it's not an entirely unreasonable statement to say that. You should go into a Church of Scientology if you want to know what it's all about. But, uh, you know, but that that's not the only source of information on Scientology, and it would be silly to uh, limit yourself to just knowing about Scientology from what Scientology tells you. So, uh, so they're a little more, you know, open about it with the brand new people. But again, once you have gone all in and you've accepted that Scientology is, you know, the, the, the bee's knees, then they're going to get harsher with you. And for people who become, they're, they're called major public or major service takers because there's minor services, you know, the lower level service and major services. So if you're a major service taker, they expect you to be KSW, keeping Scientology working, and uh, fixed, dedicated glare. We'd have you rather, rather have you dead than incapable. And they kind of take those words to heart and how they're treating people who are sort of trying to drift away, maybe not be so enthusiastic or so interested anymore, maybe not returning calls. They're getting very interested in those people and uh, showing up at their door and sending them, you know, nasty grams and stuff like that. So that's, that's what I can tell you about how they're sort of circling the wagons and tightening the screws on existing Scientologists from what I'm hearing. Wow, it was the flash. That must mean it's time for flash answers. Strawberry Hill. As I understand it, Tom Cruise is an OT8, which is supposed to make you some sort of high-functioning super being who will only see success in life. How then does the church explain the fact that Cruise has never won an Oscar, considered to be the highest accolade in his field? Do they simply dismiss it as an anti-Scientology conspiracy? You know, I have absolutely no idea what the general idea in Scientology is about Tom Cruise's lack of an Oscar, but when I was a Scientologist and Sea Org member, I never had a problem or question, or it never even entered my mind. Uh, and the reason for that is because I know good acting and bad acting, and while we all love Tom Cruise and how much he was promoting Scientology's good name back when he was doing that, um, it never even occurred to me that Cruz should deserve an Oscar because he never did an Oscar-worthy performance. So, and that was my take as a Sea Org member and Scientologist. So I, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but that's, that's what I can tell you. Jeremy Baker. Why can't victims of fair gaming get restraining orders on Scientology? Well, as I understand it, when you get a restraining order, it's on a person, not a group, or Scientology in general. You can't, you know, give a restraining order against IBM. 
Uh, and really, as far as I can tell, there isn't any reason why you couldn't go take a restraining order out on somebody who was personally uh, harassing or stalking you. I, I, it's just a matter of going and talking with the police, getting the paperwork done. I think it's actually a fairly easy process to do. But of course, if you do that, they're just going to go hire another private investigator and have them stalk and harass you. Uh, plus, the, the private investigator or Scientologist who you have the, who's the restraining order is taken out on will just stay away from you, maybe, but they'll still be around. You know, it's, it's all about intimidation. And uh, the laws don't really matter that much to Scientology when it comes to fair gaming someone. So, you know, you could, but you could definitely, it's definitely a valid thing to do if some individual Scientologist uh, or hired gun is a uh, fair gaming a person. Gary Lulu, you have wisely spoken on how Scientology is, by definition and by its actions, a cult. However, I was wondering, is it possible that within Scientology, could there be a cult of personality towards LRH as well? I'm a Neverin, so I don't know to what degree LRH was divinized or revered. If there is such a cult of personality with regards to him, was that by design? Well, I would actually say no. Um, Scientology is a destructive cult, and that has its own list of characteristics, and L. Ron Hubbard is certainly revered, but not worshipped. And he himself has said in his numerous lectures and, and writings that he's not a god and not some, you know, person who should be worshipped or anything like that. And it kind of rubs, it would just go against the whole attitude of Scientology to go worshipping somebody. That's not really what Scientology is about. Remember, it's about creating narcissists and narcissism. So Scientologists are all about themselves much more than they are about worshiping somebody else. Uh, the attitude about L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology tends to be one of, um, you know, maybe a reverential attitude towards his intelligence, his genius, his ability to research, his ability to write. Um, the discoveries that he made, I mean, there's just like, wow, how is this guy even human that he was able to pull all this off? But nobody in Scientology really thinks L. Ron Hubbard's a god or, or anything like that. And uh, it's just not really in Scientology's nature to develop that kind of thinking. Um, the same thing kind of applies toward David Miscavige. I mean, yes, people respect the shit out of him, they honor him, they, you know, bend over backwards for him. Uh, in the Sea Org, they are scared to death of him. But it's not, a, it's not a worship or a reverence. So that's, anyway, that's what I think. Okay, everybody, so that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to what I had to say here. Uh, if you have not subscribed to my channel, please go ahead and do so and hit that like button down below there. Leave any comments, questions, or feedback in the comment section below, and I will see it. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.